0: Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. The reading this morning is taken from Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14, continuing to chapter 5, verse 10. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, Every high priest is selected from among the people and is appointed to represent the people in matters related to God, to other gifts and sacrifices for sins. He is able to deal gently with those who are ignorant and are going astray, since he himself is subject to weakness. This is why he has to offer sacrifices for his own sins as well as for the sins of the people. And no one takes this honor on himself, but he receives it when called by God, just as Aaron was. In the same way, Christ did not take on himself the glory of becoming a high priest. But God said to him, you are my son, today I've become your father. And he says in another place, you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. in the order of Melchizedek.
1: Keith Russell is an ultra distance runner. He takes part in races called the last person standing. The format is simple. You have one hour to run four miles. You can run it as quickly or slowly as you want, but you've got to be back at the start one hour later, which doesn't sound too bad, Because, you know, four miles an hour is just slightly more than a brisk walk. It sounds kind of manageable. But here's the catch. After the first hour, you've got to do it all over again for the next hour. And the next hour, and the next hour, hour after hour. And gradually, as people compete, they give up. They lose heart. They sit down. They stop racing. They get too tired. Last week, Keith Russell won his race after 63 continuous hours of running. Last week, we heard that the Christian life, well, it's not a race, but it is a journey. And it's a hard journey. It's the kind of journey that many people start out on, but not everyone finishes. As the journey goes on, people will give up, lose heart, drop out, sit down, and stop moving forward in the Christian life. And as we engage with the warning from last week in Hebrews 3 and 4, we're, we're, we're bound to ask the question, what about me? Will I keep going in the journey of the Christian life as we head towards the promised land of the new creation? Or will I be one of the ones who gives up and drops out? Well, this week, there is great news for weary travelers. Verse 14 in our reading begins with a therefore. We're about to hear some great news that will lift our hearts on this journey that will sustain us and keep us going until the end, until we get home to be with the Lord forever. Verse 14. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. Can we see the logic of the verse? It's a very similar appeal to last week. Keep going, don't give up, hold firmly to the faith. Why? Because we have a high priest Over the next six chapters in Hebrews, between 4 and chapter 10, we're going to get one big, long, extended insight into exactly what kind of high priest we have in the Lord Jesus who's in heaven now. We'll see much about his glorious work on our behalf that makes him our perfect and permanent high priest. But this morning, the focus is not so much on his work, but rather on his heart for weary Christians. No matter how strong we might feel today, I think most, if not every Christian, will go through a season in their Christian life when they feel like giving up. When they feel so discouraged, they think, is it worth it? And maybe some of us here today or watching online at home. Maybe that's us. Maybe we're clinging on by our our fingertips and we think it's just too much hassle. I'll be better off not following Christ. Or maybe we're trying to encourage a, a family member or a friend who we know is just about to give up. We don't know what to say or where to point them. Well, no matter how we feel this morning, let's come and wonder at this picture of our great high priest. Don't give up. First, we have a sympathetic high priest. That's our first point. We have a sympathetic high priest. Verse 14 tells us we have a great high priest, but verse 15 tells us what he's like. For we do not have a high priest who is unable To feel sympathy for our weaknesses. Uh, The word sympathy is translated in other versions as empathy. The sense is stronger than some kind words and a cup of tea, it has the sense of being a co sufferer. A few months ago, I heard a story about four men who crossed the Atlantic Ocean in an open rowing boat. It took three months. Apparently, it was completely brutal. On average, every two weeks, they had to face a major Atlantic storm, huge waves and wind. They rowed in pairs, two hours on, two hours off, 24 hours a day, seven days a week for the whole three months. They had no more than 40 minutes sleep at a time for the whole period. Blisters, exhaustion, sunburn. It was brutal, and one of the men describes how he was so overwhelmed by the experience that he found himself for a couple of days just sat in the seat rowing in floods of tears, this rugged explorer man just broken by the experience. Now, I can imagine how hard it was to cross the Atlantic in a rowboat, but I've never done it. I have a, a certain kind of sympathy. But if I'd been in the boat myself, if I'd been one of the four men in that crew and experienced the pain and the fear and the agony, then I would sympathize in a different way altogether. I would be a co-sufferer. And Jesus? Well, he's up in heaven now. He is far above us now, out of sight now. And as we suffer down below, as we trudge through life with all the disappointments and fears and uncertainties, it's easy to wonder if Jesus knows about us at all, if he even cares. The Queen of England in Buckingham Palace today, I'm sure has no idea who I am and has no idea what my day holds. What about the King of the universe on his throne in heaven well, look at verse 15. It continues. But we have a high priest who has been tempted in every way, just as we are. By taking on flesh, by, by living as a man in, the, in this fallen world, Jesus has stepped into the boat of our human experience. Uh, of course, he hasn't faced Exactly all the circumstances we might face. He never married. He never had children. He doesn't know what it's like to be worried about our children's future or to go through a strained marriage. He didn't grow old. And so he doesn't know what it's like to face the trial of old age. He, I take it, never experienced a bishop's visitation. And yet he has sat in the boat of a human experience. And so he does know the full range of emotions that come to us living in this broken world. Have we ever felt lonely or abandoned? Jesus has. Have we ever felt worried about the future? Jesus has. Have we ever been hungry or thirsty or exhausted by life? Jesus has been. Have we ever cried out to God, asking him to change the course of our lives because what we're facing seems too difficult for us? Jesus has. Have we ever had a friend die? Jesus has. Have we ever been confronted with the reality of our own death? Jesus has. We could imagine the people of Israel in the Old Testament Trudging through the desert on their journey to the promised lands, day after day, thirsty, hungry, fed up, wondering if God cared, wondering what God was doing. But for us, this side of the incarnation, Jesus has co-suffered with us. Our man in heaven, our great high priest, our representative before God. He is a sympathetic high priest. But what about how verse 15 ends? It says, we have one who's been tempted in every way just as we are, yet did not sin. Imagine chatting to a friend about how we found the pandemic and the lockdown. And, and they say, actually, we've been loving lockdown. Do uh, you know we had more free time and so we started this amazing diet and we've been running 10 miles a day and we've lost two stone and actually we feel better than ever. And we're thinking, well, great for you, but I spent all lockdown, sat on the sofa eating chocolate, watching Netflix. That kind of comparison crushes us. And when we discover that Jesus has experienced all the temptations we've experienced and yet never sinned, well, it can make us feel like a total failure. But that's not the point at all. That race I mentioned at the beginning, the last one standing, if I had taken part in the race and managed one hour then I would know what it's like to suffer running for one hour. However, if I was Keith Russell and I kept going for 63 hours, I would know the agony of running for 63 hours. Who knows more about suffering, me or Keith Russell? Well, it's Keith Russell, isn't it? Hour after hour, he kept going despite the pain. And that tells us something of what it means for Jesus to have Endured temptation for his whole life without sinning once because he's gone further than anyone into the depths of the pain that suffering through temptation brings. Far more than I've ever gone. I give up far too quickly, but not Jesus. Which means that more than anyone, he can sympathize with how hard temptation is. He's been tempted far more than anyone. He is a sympathetic high priest. And so when the Christian life is hard, and it will be hard at times, it can make us question God. It can feel like he doesn't understand or he doesn't care. But I love the words of William Cooper in his famous hymn. Judge not the Lord by feeble sense, but trust him for his grace. Behind a frowning providence, he hides a smiling face. Verse 15 is like a webcam showing us what is happening right now in heaven. We have a sympathetic high priest, our man in heaven, who understands our pain. His heart is moved by our suffering. And so, verse 16, let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. This word for approach is the word used in the Old Testament for when God's people used to approach the Lord's presence, perhaps at Mount Sinai or perhaps at the temple. You'll know in the Old Testament they could come, but only so far, towards a holy God, and they came with fear and trembling. But as Christians, we have complete access into God's presence through our great high priest, the Lord Jesus. And so verse 16 is, is urging us to make the very most of the access we have in Christ, draw near. When we experience suffering, maybe being mocked for being a Christian at school, or loneliness, or, or poor health, or bereavement, or anxiety about the future, or the ongoing battle with our sin, Whatever that suffering is, that suffering can so easily make us doubt God's heart for us. And that can make our hearts grow hard towards Him. And so we start looking for comfort elsewhere but to know that our great high priest in heaven is a co-sufferer with us, that he totally gets us, that his heart is moved by our pain, that his arms are open wide towards us. It is that truth that will keep us coming to God with our pain and our troubles and our worries. And there is much help at the throne of grace for those in need. We have a sympathetic high priest. But second, we have a gentle high priest. In verses one to four of chapter five, we get the CV of an ideal Old Testament high priest. Verse one, they are selected from among the people to represent the people before God. And then verse two, He is able to deal gently with those who are ignorant or going astray, since he himself is subject to weakness. In a few days, we're going to be driving north to Scotland for some holiday. And imagine as we drive north, I lose track of the speed limit on the road. I I can't remember, is it it 40 or 50 or or 60? And so I hedge my bets and I go 50. And when the police car pulls up behind me and pulls me over and the officer tells me that the lim- limit is 50, well, then I realise that I was breaking the speed limits, but, but through ignorance. But imagine on the next bit of roads, I drive by and I, I see the limit sign. It says 40. I, I see it. I log it. I know what it says. But then I choose to ignore it willfully and I speed up to 70 and I'm pulled over again. That time I'm breaking the law again, but this time it's willful. Ignorant, willful, two different ways of breaking the law. And the same is true when it comes to sin. Both are in view here. Uh, Verse two, he can deal gently with those who are ignorant when they sin or who go astray, that is, who willfully sin. Both kinds of sinners receive a gentle response from a high priest. Why is that? Well, because verse 3, he too is a sinner. He is subject to all the same weaknesses, and he also needs a sacrifice for his sin. And so back in the Old Testament, when an Israelite sins, and they rock up at the temple with an animal to, to sacrifice in their place because of their sin and they do it again and again, day after day, as a repeat offender, whether through ignorance or through willful rebellion, the high priest doesn't say to the Israelites, how could you? You're rubbish. No, he says, come, you're welcome. I'm exactly the same as you. You see, there's a gentleness And notice verse 4, this honored role of being high priest, is not earned or grasped at by the high priest. No, it's something that God calls them to. The point is there's no room for arrogance on the part of the high priest. That moment when we confess our sin, it's very vulnerable, isn't it? And for the people of Israel when they went to the temple to confess their sin and to offer sacrifices. Their experience of the high priest was not to be like some football manager who gives his team a roasting at halftime because they're four nil down and playing terribly. No, the priest is to meet their vulnerability with great Gentleness. Over the years, various jobs have become obsolete. Video rental store assistants, telephone exchange operators, encyclopedia salespeople. But one job that will never be obsolete is the job of high priest the people back then in the Old Testament, but the people today and us always for the future, we always need a representative from among us to represent us to God in his presence. And having shown us the CV of an ideal priest, the writer shows us how we have the ideal priest in the Lord Jesus. He ticks all the boxes and actually even more. And so in verses five to six, we see that Jesus, well, he didn't grasp at this exalted status. He's not arrogant or power hungry. No, he's been appointed to the role by God the Father. And then look at verse seven. During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. Like every other high priest, Jesus has experienced weakness. Think of the Garden of Gethsemane on the eve of his death. Jesus was overwhelmed at the prospect of what was coming to him as he died on the cross. He cried out to his heavenly father asking if somehow he could avoid the cup. He understands the temptation to rebel against his father's will. Like every other priest, subject to weakness in his flesh. And this means that like every other high priest, he is gentle with the ignorant and the wayward. When we come to him with our sin, he doesn't say, how could you? You're rubbish. No, he says... I know how hard it is. And he's gentle with us. But there is a difference between Jesus and every other high priest. Verse eight. Son, though he was, he learned obedience from what he suffered. And once made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who believe. So all who obey him. You see, unlike every other high priest, Jesus never sinned. Which means instead of needing a sacrifice for his sin, he was able to give himself as a perfect sacrifice for our sin. The, the perfect obedience of Jesus is crucial to him being able to welcome us into God's presence without fear because he's our perfect sacrifice. We'll think much more about the sinlessness of Jesus later on in Hebrews and also how he's a priest in the order of Melchizedek in a few weeks time. But I think the focus of chapter five is more on the heart of Jesus. He is a gentle high priest. And this is wonderful because you see so often in life, Success can make people harsh. The self-made businessman becomes a bully. The top grade student becomes impatient with the classmates. Man City fans rub their team success in everyone else's faces. But with Jesus, he blends perfect obedience with complete Gentleness. And this gentleness is a great help on our journey. When we sin, we can approach the throne of grace with confidence. Jesus won't scold us. He won't tell us to go away and come back when we're better or sorted. No, his arms are open, full of gentleness longing for us to come as we are in our sin to the throne of grace. So let's not be fearful of owning up our sin and coming before him. But as I finish, our sin can awaken the inner rebel in us. Sin can make us shake our fist at God and tell him to go away. Sin makes us think we're better off on our own. It's what happened to the people of Israel in the desert. But when our hearts become hard this way, it's not because we've come to know God truly and found Him wanting. It's because we've forgotten who He truly is. And here is water to quench the flames of our rebellion. Here is the heart of God. God is consistently more gracious, more loving, more moved by our plight than our sinful hearts want to acknowledge. And so, dear Christians, let's hold fast. Let's draw near. We have a gentle high priest. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for our man in heaven today, our great high priest, our Lord Jesus. We thank you for showing us his heart, a heart full of sympathy, a heart of gentleness towards weary and fallen sinners. And Father, as we look to heaven and see who is standing for us, Help us to not lose heart until one day we arrive safe and sound at home in your presence forever. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.